The reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which you'll find on page 1147 in the Church Bibles. But before I read, let's, let's just pray. Lord and Heavenly Father, as we read, I pray that we may be attentive, recognizing that this is your word for our good, that we may believe and obey. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of your fellowship the man who has been doing this? For my part... Even though I am not physically present, I am with you in spirit. As one who is present with you in this way, I have already passed judgment in the name of our Lord Jesus on the one who has been doing this. So when you are assembled and I am with you in spirit and the power of our Lord Jesus is present, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral, or greedy, an idolater, or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Joe. Let's pray together. 
Uh, Lord God, we thank you for your word that is good and true. And Lord, that we uh, need to hear, Lord, you have the words of life. And Lord, we long that you would give that to us today as a church family, that we might be this people who have been made holy and are now called to be holy, to be more and more like you. Bless us, I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen. So you might have gasped as we read this, as my wife just did, with, oh gosh, you might think actually that this particular passage is not really for us, because where is the incest in this church family? Um, you might think that actually, well, this passage just doesn't seem to really apply at all. In which case, can I put it to you that this is exactly the passage that you need to hear today, and that I need to hear Uh, This is definitely for us. Uh, We are just like this church in Corinth that has been wrestling with uh, division amongst the church family as they follow this leader or that leader. They're wrestling with sexual morality now, and next week we're going to be looking at this division between believers. But this is about sexual morality and what we do with it, Uh, and it is totally for us because each one of us here is a sinner in some way sexually. But... We are brilliantly forgiven all of that in Jesus, aren't we? And so we can look that square in the face and do business with that sin, with God on our side. And that's what we're going to do here. It's important to do. Has anyone been reading about Philip Schofield uh, in the press? I mean, it's everywhere, isn't it? This leader of a talk show who's now lost his job and who knows what mayhem he's caused with his family and with his colleague who's deeply upset about his sexual immorality. And it's quite plain to see the pain, the surprise, the shock, and the mess that that has caused, isn't it? It's not a good thing. Well, it is exactly the same thing in the church. Uh, We have, in recent years, had really high-profile failures, haven't we, in churches, of those who are not. they're, They're sexually immoral. And we've seen the pain and the hurt and the awfulness that that causes and how it's nothing at all like Jesus. And some of us here will know what it's like to both be the sinner in that situation and cause that and to be totally forgiven in Jesus. How wonderful. But also to be the recipient of that and how awful that is. And so this is absolutely crucial for us to read and to understand how we should think about this as a church family. Pentecost is the birth of the church, isn't it? The Holy Spirit coming amongst us and applying salvation to our hearts so that all that we do and say that is a wrong and a mess can be forgiven, but also to forge us into something, to make us the body of Christ, something wonderful and pure. And so this essential reading for us today. What's God got to say about sexual immorality and, and how we should respond to that in our church? Well, the first thing we see here is, uh, well, overall we're going to see, look, unchecked immorality is not being true to who we are in Jesus. Unchecked sexual immorality, in fact, any sin, is not being true to who we are in Jesus. And so actually we don't associate with those who are unrepentant, those who claim to be Christians, but are unrepentant of it. We don't associate with them. And so why listen to this is because actually it's our role here in creating a safe community that is a beautiful reflection of Jesus and where people can come with their sin and be forgiven. That's why we want to listen to this. So here's the first insight. Mourn and distance from a Christian in unrepentant sexual immorality. So you've got a Christian 
that are sexually immoral, what do you do with them if they're unrepentant? Some distance. Can you see this in verses 1 and 2? It is, exa- it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, Corinthian church, and of a kind that not even pagans, that is people who don't believe in Jesus, they do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife. Not entirely sure what the deal is, but it's likely that it was a stepmom marrying a, a son in order to for a, a transmission of inheritance or something like that. But whatever it is, it's being celebrated. And what Paul says is, well, look, and you're proud. But he says, shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning and have put out of fellowship this man who's been doing this? Swap mourning, swap the pride for mourning uh, and excluding as the gathered church is what he's saying. And the aim of that, verse 5, is not, not that he would be killed. You might have misread that. He says, look, I've already handed this man over, uh, verse 5, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh. That doesn't mean that he would be destroyed. That's a reference to his sinful nature. We use the word flesh in the New Testament by Paul. It often means his sinful nature, the desire to do wrong things, that that might be destroyed, and we pick that up, so that his spirit may be saved on the day of the Lord. Can you see the aim of it is actually so even the person who's in unrepentant sexual immorality, that they might be redeemed and brought back in to the people of God. Do you see that? But pride and boasting about sin are not good, verse 6. Your boasting is not good. Rather, it should be the opposite, which is humility and repentance. Mourning sin and separation from the sinner who has no regrets and is persistent and flagrant in it who claims to be a Christian. And so verse 11 is really the summary for us. It expands from sexual morality to other sins as well. Can you see that in verse 11? But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. You see, the emphasis is on... um, Uh, on distance from the unrepentant sinner. Do not associate, do not eat with. Eating is the sort of heart of fellowship, isn't it? You know, when you you want to hang out with friends, what do you do? You go and and eat with them. And he's saying here, no, you've got to have distance from them. It's not saying find a sinner in your church and kick them out, because otherwise this church would be empty. You'd have to start with me. If you're fighting sexual sin, if you're doing battle with porn today, this is not you. If you're, if you're, doing, if you're fighting your greed at the minute, this is not you. If your relationship with drink and money is very different from those, uh, you know, you're, you're wrestling with your, your relationship with drink and with uh, material stuff, then this is not you. That's very different from those who are notoriously and persistently and openly disobeying God's good plans for us when they approach these things. And they're doing it with self-satisfaction. So in summary, instead of grieving over their sin in their midst, the Corinthian Christians were actually smug about their newfound enlightened tolerance as Christians. Aren't we great? Because look, we, we can do all this. We've got freedom in Christ. And Paul says, no, you should recoil in horror. Um, our illustration for you, I was once deeply proud of helping my little sister access my mum's makeup. How kind of me. 
to give her access to something that she really wants to. What a brilliant thing. No, not cool. Actually deathly, because she's drinking the Chanel number no. five. Or I, I, she doesn't wear Chanel, but I don't know what she wears. But she's, you know, that's not good for a little toddler sat on the bed covered in lipstick. That's not good. And that's how misguided the Corinthians are and how we might go. We might not see such blatant and proud sexual immorality in Emmanuel, but then no one sets out to do that as a Christian, do they? Rather, it starts with the unchecked thoughts, the dreams, the talking about it, the hidden activity, which is then converted to open activity and then public ownership. We must not cultivate an indifference or a complacence about what God calls sin. We must not rationalise it, but rather from the outset, love Jesus so much that we hate the sin that he hated. He hated it so much that he came to die in our place so that all our sin might be forgiven. That's how much he hated it. It's difficult to get past um, the talking about some kind of sinful activity, isn't it? if you're in a community that doesn't tolerate ungodliness. But we open ourselves up for accountability and we gently call to one another to account. It doesn't get there, does it? So, you know, listen, I'm really struggling not to day- daydream about so-and-so's husband. Could you just pray for me? Brother, can I just chat to you about that angry moment? What's going on there? I have to keep remembering that education isn't the silver bullet for my kids. Actually, Jesus is. That's the idolatry, isn't it? Sister, it feels like you're struggling to find something good to say about this person. Is everything okay? That's the slander one, isn't it? Please help me with my relationship with drink. I don't think I'm getting it right. I'm not sure this is glorifying God. Will you pray with me with that? Do you see how that works? Why do we do that? It's because, as the second part of our passage here, verse 6 onwards, we do that because unchecked immorality is not true to who we are in Jesus. Verses 6 to 8. Paul launches into an illustration with flatbread. I love flatbread. Flatbread is used at this Jewish feast celebrating how God rescued his people called the Passover. You can see that in verse 7. Um, And that was when God rescued his people from wrath by the lamb dying in their place instead. And the key is, is that there's no yeast in the bread. In the kitchen, it was all, all the yeast was got rid of. In fact, the whole house, you swept the whole house, you got rid of all the yeast you could, you clear it off. It's like getting rid of the mess on the carpet before your mother-in-law comes to stay for Christmas. It's a big feast, you clear up. It's a bit more technical, but that's what it is. Okay? You make it clean and perfect for this dedicated feast that celebrates God's forgiveness and rescue. Uh, And then it's parallel with Jesus and his church here. So we've got, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Yeast is small, but has a disproportionately large effect on the bread that it's in, doesn't it? And it works all the way through it. Uh, You get rid of the old yeast so that you may have new unleavened batch, something that is untouched by the yeast. It has no, you know, if you get a tiny bit in there, stuff happens, doesn't it? But this has got nothing in it. And that's what you really are. Can you see that in verse 7? You really are. You're this new type of bread that doesn't have any yeast in it. And you're that because for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. 
Yet this is the celebration of, of Jesus dying so that our sins might be forgiven. So it's not appropriate that we would be this bread with the yeast in it. We've got to be this special bread. The idea is, is that Jesus has made you holy and perfect. He's washed away all your sin. And so why would you put the sin back in? It doesn't make any sense. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with the old leavened bread, which is leavened with sin, malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, that we know what sin is and we take it seriously. Can you see that? It's a little bit weird. Why don't I try and illustrate it a little bit here? So, um, <clears throat> this, is, this, is, this is my life before God in a glass here. And the problem with my life before God, isn't it, is that it's filled with sin. And it's a bit like me spitting in the glass. There we go. That's delicious now, isn't it? And now I offer my glass to God, or to Margaret. I said, Margaret, would you like my life? And she says, no, because it's tainted by sin, because sin is like yeast. It goes all the way through. How about if I try and stop some of the sin? I fish it out. There we go. Uh, Margaret, some drink? No, it doesn't work either, does it? I know, I know. How about I do some good works and I put, you know, some good works in the top. They often do that in big hero films, don't they? They're redeeming themselves by doing something good. There we go. Does that work, Margaret? No, it doesn't, does it? Because in order to be right for God, we need to be totally pure. So what does Jesus do? He lives a perfect life for us, which is delicious in every way. And then when he goes to the cross and he dies... He takes our life and he gives us his life. And then that goes, that's dead and gone, isn't it? And so now our life is pure like Jesus in God's eyes. And so would you like a drink, Maria? Yeah, you would. Sorry, I did actually sit from that. You should give it back. <laughs> okay. Now, the thing is, we're all pure and perfect now as Christians, aren't we? And Jesus has paid the ultimate price to make us that way. And so, does it make any sense to put more spit in it? No. Does it make any sense then to tolerate the unrepentant sinner who stands amongst God's people, made all perfect and holy by Jesus, and they're dropping more spit in it? There, would you like a bit of that? No. Do you see? It's just inappropriate in every way. It's not true to who you are. You are a people who've been made holy by the blood of Christ. All your sexual sin and idolatry and everything has been forgiven. And so it's not appropriate to have unchecked sin in the church. And so it's actually who we are called to be and who we want to be is to be God's holy people. And so don't... Don't allow sin to exist in church unchecked. You, we, don't make, we make a clear challenge to ungodliness, and we do it not for the sake of it, and we, we challenge sin uh, 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 and ungodliness deliberately, not for the sake of it, and not even because it's our duty, but because it's being true to who we are in Christ, made perfect. So in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, get rid of the old yeast, that immorality, so that you might become the new unleavened batch without immorality, that's here, as you really are. Do you see the, the force of that phrase, as you really are? It's who you are. 
You see, here's an illustration. I don't act like a child sometimes because I am no longer a child. But if I did, it is obviously not appropriate anymore for me to act like a two-year-old. And actually, I'd be missing out if I did. And I'd probably be making a mess of a lot of things and a lot of people if I did behave like a two-year-old. It's not being true to who I am as a rapidly aging 40-something. You know you're old when you can't remember. We have been renewed and made new, a new creation in Christ as a church. And his holy church, that's what the spirit of Pentecost is forging us into. So act in any other way than to glorify Jesus isn't being true to who we are. Being proud and boasting in Jesus who died for us to make us a renewed church. That's what we want to be doing, isn't it? Just on this last part, I just want you to notice that in verse 9 to 10, there's a very clear distinction Separating from immorality in the church does not mean separating from the world. You see, Christians should have double standards. You should all have double standards according to this. Verse 11. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or a sister. And in verse 9, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral because they don't follow Jesus as Lord. Or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. Don't do that. Don't become monks and nuns. Actually live in the world. But when you're in church, hold each other to a higher standard. Because that's who you are. You've been made holy and forgiven everything in Christ. Do you see that? Like Jesus going to those who are the worst sinners in the world, like you and I. He always does that in the Gospels, doesn't he? And he draws them into the renewed people of God. He is utterly loving. Think of the Samaritan woman at the well in sexual adultery with many, many husbands. He's utterly loving. He's utterly clear about the truth. And he says, go and stop sinning. Only when we claim to be part of a renewed people of God must we meet immorality with a clear challenge that culminates in not associating with them when it's really bad. So what's Jesus' challenge for us? Well, will our love... We're not, the fact that we love being a Christ-perfected community, will that mean that we hate sin that Christ fought against and died for? Will we meet immorality in our own church family, and will we meet sin in our own church family with a clear challenge? I think this is hard for us because we're British, and we don't like to do it. Look, if you're young here today, I want you to have double standards with your school or your university mates. Um, have one for those who are in your Christian union and who go along to Ignite and the youth clubs and have another one for those who are at school who are working stuff out and they don't follow Jesus. In particular, I want to encourage you to use your sexuality for the glory of God in the way that he's already made you holy. And when you muck up and you get it wrong, ask for Jesus' help. Be forgiven and be that accountability to one another. But know his grace and forgiveness when you get it wrong. For generally here, maybe you're, you're reading this passage and you're thinking, yeah, this is me, I am this sexual sinner, I struggle with drink. Actually, oh, I am this person who is immoral. Look, good news of great joy, Jesus has died for you and you are now perfect. If you bring that to the Lord and you repent, isn't that wonderful? And so now you can reproach the week ahead, not with fear of getting it wrong again, but in delight at being God's holy people. But ask for help, get your brothers and sisters to pray for you. Because that's being who you are in Christ. If you've been a Christian for a while, don't tolerate ungodliness in one another. Gently say something. 
Do it at the early stage, nipping it in the bud for yourself and for others, so that we don't end up in a position where someone's got to write us a letter about the sexual morality that's happening in the church, because it's painful and awful. Say something. Don't allow this to get to the stage uh, where it's really bad. Instead, being a community that's renewed in Christ's image. And we've got that going on at the minute, haven't we, in our denomination? We've got to say something. We've got to call it out where we see it and meet unrepentant sin with a clear challenge. But maybe you're someone here today who's, who's uh, you know, you've suffered on the receiving end of such sexual immorality and you've had that in the church or you've had that outside. Or maybe you're someone who's done that and you still feel oh, the guilt of it. I want to encourage you to give that to Jesus and be forgiven. And for those who've suffered some kind of, you know, you've been swindled in church or you've, you've experienced sexual morality, then you know above all how important it is that we don't let sin go unchecked or unchallenged as a community. We need to say stuff to one another and ask people to speak truth to us. We don't want that working like yeast through this church family, do we? I'm so pleased to be in a church family where I've experienced this myself. So someone has come up to me and they've heard me say something and they said, Ed, I just want to talk to you about that. That sounded a little bit, you know, oh, thanks, mate. That is brilliant. Thanks so much for that. I hadn't picked up on that at all, but that is brilliant. Wouldn't it be great if we're a culture that does that for one another? Then God, by his spirit, will he'll make us such a beautiful community where things like Philip Schofield or things like all these church leaders that go wrong. You know, I need you to do that for me. You need that for you guys to do it with one another so that we're this beautiful community that just reflects to the world that sinners can be amazing and pure and wonderful like Jesus. And this is a safe and lovely place to be. Wouldn't that be great? Let's pray for that. Lord God, we pray with thanksgiving that you're a God that has come and found us in our immorality, in our sin, in our dreadfulness. And Lord, many of us, we are still struggling with that today. And we praise you, Lord, that you have made us pure like a glass of water that you love to own and to drink and to call yours. Thank you, Lord, for that sacrifice. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us not to be complacent about sin and, Lord, never to grow um, uh, you know, I suppose to rationalise it, Lord, or, or to start boasting about what we do, uh, Lord, that is against your law, but Lord, that we would call sin what you call sin, and Lord, that we would love to be held by our brothers and sisters to account uh, and to be more and more like you, because that's who we are, Lord, with this new creation. What a joy that you would take us, the worst of sinners, and make us that perfect new creation. Thank you, Lord, for that. Help us, I pray, with this. Amen. Amen. Um, How does reflecting on who we are in Christ help us challenge ungodly behaviour? That's a slightly wordy question. But think about afterwards at coffee. If I think about who I am in Jesus and how perfect I am, how does that help me uh, challenge ungodly behaviour in my own heart and with others? That's the question for coffee. Thanks very much, everyone.